You're listening to Affected by Altitude, a Colorado Rockies podcast for and by Rockies fans on Rocky Mountain Rooftop. Thank you for joining us as we discuss all things baseball and Colorado Rockies. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new edition of Affected by Altitude, a Colorado Rockies podcast, part of the Rocky Mountain Rooftop Network, the Rockies affiliate of Fans First Sports Network. I am your host, Skylar Timmons, once again, joined by partner in crime wearing his all-star game hat, Evan Lang. You know it's an all-star game hat because it says all-star game on it. Mm-hmm. I got it for $5. That's a bargain. <laughs> and we're joined here wearing his... Colorado Avalanche hat, our homie and partner in crime over at Purple Row, Kenneth Weber. I wish it was only $5, but hey, I didn't even uh, know about the All-Star game until I started reading the text, so Evans is more fancy than mine. Is it? It, it, it literally was $5. <laughs> it was, uh, I went to the last game of the season at Coors Field, and they were Bargaining. trying to get rid of a bunch of old stuff, yeah. and they had a big clearance rack of hats, most of which were not very great, but I saw this and it's like, it's purple. It's $5. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Does the job. Skyler with the city connect though. I mean, that's a pretty high bar set for all of us. So mm-hmm. I really didn't like the hat for the city connect originally, but it really has grown on me. It's a good day to day hat. It's a good daily driver. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately we're not here to talk all about hats. Though we probably could fill up an entire episode talking about hats. Tune in to the Hatcast next Tuesday. <laughs> With the off season and the Rockies' tendency to not be super busy, we may have to fall back on that at some point. Put a pin but, in it. Yeah, we'll put it, we'll put that we'll file that away for for future episodes. But because uh, we also have baseball cards, we could always do too. Get my brother on; he can show us all of his random baseball cards he has hidden away. Good times. We did that for an episode of Every Rocky Ever, even. But we're here to talk more about, if you recall, this is basically like part three of our trilogy of episodes uh, where they're progressively getting better. And the first episode, Evan and I spent two hours talking about, oh, our frustrations of the 2023 season. Last week, we cut it down to like an hour 10 (laughs) of just talking about some of those main rookies. Nolan Jones, Ezekiel Tovar, Brenton Doyle. And we had planned to talk about more stuff we were going to do today, but those rookies took up an entire episode. So we pushed it into another episode here where it's just going to be everything else, positives to take away from the 2023 season, namely some of the other positives around what happened with the current roster players on the team, because there were some positives to come out of that and things we learned. Talk about Bill Schmidt and... No, he's shown glimpses of more positive what he can do in that GM role as he continues to to get more time and experience in that role. And then lastly, with Kenneth here, always a perfect opportunity to talk more about the minor leagues, drafting players down there and, and the future of positives that are coming up and for the future. So we're chock full here, gentlemen, and we might as well just jump right into it here with the, the positives of the team in general. And now, it's kind of a vague topic here in general, but what were some of the positives that you noticed outside of those three rookies we talked about last week 
that we, we saw this year, whether it be in the bullpen, pitching, position player-wise, what were some of the positives you found from this 2023 team outside of those rookies? We'll start with Evan. What did you find? You know, the bullpen really fell apart late in the season, but I think a lot of people forget how good the the Rockies bullpen looked early on in the year where they were the reason we were managing to come away with some games, especially with all the issues that we were having with starting pitching. And, you know, we've all talked about it at this point. Kenneth has talked about it. You've talked about it. I've talked about it is eventually they were just completely gassed because you look at just how much they were called upon to pitch, you know, one of the most utilized bullpens in all of baseball. And some of these guys who, pitched some of the most in all of baseball it was it was tough but you forget that guys like justin lawrence brent Suter, jake bird uh, even daniel bard at the beginning were all pitching really well to start the season and honestly there's some guys who it's still really worth talking about for how good they were this year out of the rockies bullpen where jake bird ended up pitching the most innings in all of baseball as a reliever purely a reliever yeah it's purely purely a reliever he pitched uh made 67 appearances out of the bullpen 84 and one third innings and had a pretty respectable for a rockies bullpen pitcher era of 427 like that's really not bad but overall he finished the year pretty strong in general and i think it's at least worth talking about for him because yeah he had a he had a tough year especially towards the end of it because we were all like this guy's arm is going to fall off by the end of the year with how much he got used uh he ended up pitching almost 90 innings this season mm-hmm. yeah yeah go ahead Kenneth. <clears throat> well just to, to dovetail i mean it it can't be understated just how taxed this bullpen was during the first half of the season and that brought some modicum of respectability at least for a time being um but it was at a cost and so i think bird is the poster child of that yeah mm-hmm. but there were other relievers who still had really pretty respectable seasons um major shout out to justin lawrence who i think you know, he was also really struggling towards the end of the year as he had never really had a workload the size that he had before this year. Him and him and Jake Bird were were two of the most used relievers in all of baseball this year. Justin Lawrence ended up pitching 75 innings out of the bullpen this year uh, in 69 appearances and finished the year with a very respectable 3.72 ERA. Uh, also, big shout out to Brent Suter, who also was used a lot, though not as much because he had a little bit of injury stuff. Um, towards the midseason, but ERA of 326, which is about as good as you're going to get. is an, If you got an ERA in the threes as a Rockies reliever, you're doing just fine. <laughs> yeah, and it, it, that was the guy I wanted to shadow was you know, Brent Suter because he came in expecting to just kind of be the, you know, the second lefty in that bullpen with Lucas Gilbreth, but then Gilbreth has to get Tommy John surgery, and then instead you know, he finds his workload is he takes on a lot more this year. And a lot of times, a lot of these relievers, you know, Jake Bird and some of these guys were coming in having to throw two, sometimes maybe even three innings because of the problems with the starting pitching. But for you know, for the most part, that core group of the bullpen stayed fairly intact throughout the year. And they shuffled in guys in and out. But for the most part, the bullpen seemed pretty regular 
of who is out there and slight shuffling around the same cast of characters out there. And like we said, they got burned out by the time that all-star break happened. No, and then starting pitching started to get better there in that second half, but the bullpen just kind of continued to fall off. And but the, the bullpen, especially the Rockies, need a good bullpen. That's key to success for a lot of teams. They need that good bullpen. Now they need a better starting pitching staff to support that bullpen so they're not getting overloaded with work. But still, a lot of those guys, especially those younger guys that are developing into that new core out there, that was that was good to see. And who knows what the future holds for old man Brent Suter, but some more younger guys that are primed to be able to come into that bullpen or perform this year and be staples, at least for now, for one more season. Oh, it helps out to have some surety there that Justin Lawrence is there. Jake Bird can come back, hopefully with a with that rubber arm and everything. No, it, it's good to have guys like that. Yeah. And not to mention, we, Brad Hand didn't do terrible. Pierce yeah. Johnson would get the strikeouts. But you know, Speaking of Pierce Johnson and Brad Hand, it's telling for how heavily taxed this bullpen was that of the top six guys uh, in terms of appearances for the Rockies this year, uh, two of them were traded to the deadline and still ended up in the top six, and that was <laughs> Pierce Johnson and Brad Hand. Uh-huh. Yeesh. You know, uh, it's good to bring Suter in. I think when we talk or look ahead to the offseason, if he re-signs is a pretty big question that I think um, is, is probably going to be a priority uh, for the organization. So the bullpen as a whole, there were there were takeaways from there. Um, but, you you know, we already mentioned just how taxed they were from the workload that they had at the beginning of the season. There's a little bit of reading in between the lines here on this, but there were some positive takeaways out of the rotation this year in terms of a few guys actually taking a step. Um, I think uh, the one who sticks out first is Peter Lambert. Mm-hmm. Um, this is somebody whose career was really kind of on the skids and him and Ryan Rollison were in the same conversation and Rollison is still in that same boat. But what we saw with Lambert when he got moved to the rotation full time at the end of July was a pretty good string of starts. He got thumped a little bit in his final start against the Giants. But before that, uh, from the end of July all the way through August to the beginning of September, uh, put together 48 innings with a 413 ERA got knocked around for more than three runs twice out of something to the result of nine starts, I think. Um, There was a little bit of consistency that you started seeing out of Peter Lambert. And for a rotation that's just paper thin right now and looks like it's going to be that way through 2024 unless big sweeping changes are made, having somebody like Lambert that showed he can be a major league starter was a good takeaway. Um, Ryan Feltner had moments like that too, but obviously on May 13th, that line drive to the head really completely changed everything for his season. Um, seeing steps in his development prior to that happening, plus the fact that he was able to get back out there at the end of the season, gives you a little bit of optimism on Ryan Feltner maybe being in that same boat uh, with Lambert. And I think that a lot more people were were higher on on felt there in this conversation before the season even started. So um, you're grasping at straws with this rotation in the first place, but at least you saw a little bit of consistency in moments from uh, Feltner and Lambert. And then 
Austin Gomber was atrocious to begin the season, but that doesn't mean that last two thirds of the season that he put together wasn't actually, wasn't pretty solid. You know, um, there was there was a hard hard time for him to start getting it turned around, uh, but from the middle of April through the end of August, 122 and two-thirds innings with a 4.62 ERA, a couple of duds along the way, but pretty consistently he was going out there and giving the Rockies an opportunity to win after starting the season with an ERA north of 10 or whatever it was. You know, He was completely just obliterated. He really started showing a little bit of consistency. He went down again with a back injury, so there's still question marks around Gomber, but you saw stretches where there were actually some legitimate starting pitchers from three other guys and when you're losing Sensatella and Marquez for all of, if not, or for most of, if not all of next season, you're going to need something around Freeland. So you hope those three guys are part of it. And they showed some reasons to believe that last year. Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely worried about Gomber's back because this is the second year where he's had to been shut down late because of a back injury. 2021, he had that pars defect back fracture. And this year, um, another back issue. A little worrying, especially because. Gomber really was pretty good for his last major stretch of the season. In his last 11 starts, he had seven quality starts. Good stuff. And that, that'll that'll play where if you go through in his last 11 starts, 62 innings, area of 363. And like I said, seven quality starts. He was going out there and he was going longer into games and he was getting it done. And I think that's really what we needed to see from, from Gomber. And we, we saw a lot. Um, he gave us a lot of insight into his, his mental state this season where he talked about, you know, the amount of stress that he feels and being part of the Nolan Arenado trade and all of that other stuff. And I think really once he sort of aired all that out, he started picking up the pieces and looking like uh, a guy who you could rely on to be a regular big league starter. And if he comes back healthy next year and can just keep doing what he was doing, he's going to be an invaluable piece of the season next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's like a lot of these guys and to pick up on something Kenneth was saying, a lot of those starters, we saw a lot of other guys that had good little stretches in there. Connor Siebold had a good little stretch before the Atlanta Braves took advantage of him and everybody else in that one series in Atlanta that, <laughs> that we don't talk about that series anymore, but they mm-hmm. broke the rotation. But Connor Siebold showed flashes throughout the year. When he came back in that final game of the season, came in as a bulk starter, solid outing for him. You know, coming out of the bullpen after who was it? Brent Suter started the game. He comes in and throws some good innings and the Rockies end up winning that game eventually. It's a there's good glimpses in that rotation, and it would be nice if we had you know a, an ace to say, okay, this guy's gonna go out there and just dominate every time he goes out. Currently, looking at the roster and the current pitchers, we're not gonna have a guy like that. But if we can string together a couple of guys who can at least give you five, six innings, keep you in the ball game, not let it get out of hand, and then that that goes that sends you miles ahead of giving the offense an opportunity to do their job with this young core and then the bullpen can not be as overtaxed and then can be a little bit more helpful down the stretch as well late in games just finding that right balance as much as we'd love to have dominant pitching at Coors Field 
Rockies aren't there yet because they haven't figured out how to get there yet. But baby steps. Yeah, especially with next season, the expectations are going to be so low for that rotation. With Armand and Senzi, they're not going to play for, if not the entire season, then they'll be out for definitely most of it. And, you know, you, you look at who's there immediately ready to start, and it's Freeland and Gomber and Ryan Feltner. Mm-hmm. And even Feltner and Gomber, you have questions with. Yeah. Getting into next year, like physically. So, <clears throat> yeah, um, it's, it's again, there needs to be just heavy additions. And I know, Evan, this is something you talked about recently with the, the upper levels of the system. Uh, is did Carl Kaufman prove that he's going to be uh, a good depth starter for the organization yet? Has Noah Davis really kind of crossed that threshold? Like, there's not many options behind this guy, behind these guys, um, with the way the organization is currently structured. So, this it's something they need to address. Otherwise, you know, the low expectation might even be, you know, the prefer- the outcome might be lower than the expectations next next year, unless they kind of start adding a lot more quality behind what they already have. Yeah, yeah, you can look at that silver lining of that like a depth throughout the season. Well, hopefully the positive takeaway can be they want to look more into figuring out how to get more starting pitching, which we saw a hint of at the trade deadline, mm-hmm. but even more of getting quality, no big league ready depth as opposed to everybody being down in double A and lower. Not even double A. That's the yeah. crazy thing. Mm-hmm. And the bright side on guys like Noah Davis and Carl Kaufman, and I mentioned this in my ranking the Rockies for, for Kaufman, is that they go into this offseason with a clear picture of what kind of adjustments need to be made for them to stick around on a big league roster. Mm-hmm. And if they can make those adjustments, because we know it's we know it's possible. We saw guys like Lucas Gilbreth make these incredible offseason strides. Um, and we know that for guys like Carl Kaufman, Carl Kaufman can be a good pitcher. Maybe his, his ceiling is, is lower than initially expected for someone of his draft pedigree, but same for Noah Davis. There was something there in the first place that makes you go for this guy. And if you can keep making adjustments and doing what needs to be done in order to stick on that roster and be a good, good major league pitcher. I'm not asking for Cy Young winners. I'm not asking for all stars. I'm asking for a, solid major league rotation piece. And that is an accomplishable goal for both of them. Uh-huh. Yeah. There's a lot of, po- there's as bad as pitching was this season. There are positives that you can take away or lessons that can be learned there. I think that's what we always talk about the Rockies. There is potential there for things to be better. It's just a matter of if the organization and the players themselves can figure out a way to mesh that and, and break through, get over that hump. To where they are successful. One thing I'll add too, when you talk about the potential, you did see a couple of big arms in the bullpen late in the season, young guys that you can dream on a little bit. Gavin Hollowell was spotty throughout the year in terms of his availability and you know, kind of writing that I twenty five exchange. Uh, but Victor Bodnick, somebody that was acquired in the trade deadline, you saw a really big arm. 
from him, um, somebody that's encouraging and can make you, you know, uh, think ahead. Um, and Evan Justice, too, uh, looks the part of somebody that can be kind of a, a shutdown left-hander out of the bullpen. They're not there yet, and I would also lump Nick Mears into this conversation. Um, <clears throat> you saw some some high upside relievers start to appear and, and get some playing time in the big leagues at the end. So that could be a little bit more reinforcement for the bullpen um, and something to watch moving forward. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, I think before we move on to talking about the position players, we probably will take a quick break. But before we do that, one last thing I wanted to touch on, Chase Anderson. We've talked about him on the show before uh, near the season's end about maybe bringing him back. But near the down the stretch, he seemed to be another one of those positives. Him and Ty Block kind of became those starting pitching positives where they were doing what we had mentioned. They're giving the teams opportunities, keeping them in the ball game, uh, and giving them giving the team a chance to win. But Chase Anderson, really in those last couple of starts, really looking that veteran part. And you no, know, he did say the magic words that he wants to stick around. So potentially he comes back. But he was one of those you no. Know, super cheap waiver claims that gave you for the most part, gave you a solid season on the mound to just eat up some innings. And it's a shame that he only got one win and it took him to like that. till what the last couple for him to finally get that. But it was one of those things of a pathway to success of, especially for 2024. If we're not going to have guys, we can go, find guys maybe like chase anderson and figure out how we can help them be successful because he he kind of went up and down had we saw the tampa bay rays influence in him and then the rockies influence creeped in and then some other sort of influence helped him there there at the end uh but so there's positives there pitching for a job is what influenced him at the end yeah (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's because when we brought him in in May, his first couple starts, he wasn't exactly going super long, but he was getting the job done where he was going at least five innings for his first five starts with the Rockies, um, had a quality start in there. And then in June and July, just started to go (laughs) downward where he wasn't going very long into games. And when he was, he wasn't pitching particularly well. And then he had these two starts at the middle tail end of July where he looked good again and then was on the injured list until the end of the season. And, you know, his first two starts coming back off the injured list were pretty bumpy, but then he really locked it down for the last three. And what's really shame, you mentioned he didn't get a win until his last start of the season, is that he didn't even get the win on probably his best performance of the year, which was that seven innings of shutout baseball where he struck out seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Anderson was encouraging, and I, he just he, he earned himself another shot to stick in the rotation next year. Um, is the way it's gonna, you know, the the way I view it at least. It's a lot of not Jose Arania performances, um, but somebody who was brought in in the same manner. Who I could not say this for is Chris Flexen. Uh, he just didn't seem like he was. So, you know, hey, you, you hope Anderson can provide uh, an opportunity to win three out of every five times he takes the ball, kind of thing, and he's earned a shot to you know take that role again next year. Definitely. And Chris Flexen was our Jordan Lyles for the year. And every team has need of a Jordan Lyles to just eat innings. Mm-hmm. Teams like the Rockies. 
I'll caveat that. Teams like the Rockies always needed Jordan Lyles to just eat innings for you. And Chris Flexen did do that for some of the, some of the time. He'd go out there, give you five innings. They weren't particularly good innings, but he gave them to you. Where was Jordan Lyles this year? The Royals? He's still making bank with the Royals. One of only two teams that finished with a worse record than the Rockies. And when I said up, teams I like the Rockies Lyles. needed Jordan Lyles. Uh, yeah, Jordan, guys like Jordan. I don't know how Jordan Lyles has carved out the career he has. Because he's an innings eater. There's always going to be an, a need for a guy who can just chew innings, especially on teams that are rebuilding or teams that aren't very good. Is You still got to play nine innings. <laughs> he made 31 starts this year. Led the league in losses with 17. 6 and 17, a 6.28 ERA in 177 and two-thirds innings. I don't know. I think it's pretty impressive that he made every single start this year. I think that tells you exactly why he still has a a career in this league. Since 2020, he has given up the most runs in the league three times. But look at, look at say, his last three seasons. He's made every single start that's been requested of him. He Man. is just a genuine innings muncher. Yeah. Hey, it wasn't too bad in 2022 with the Oreos. Anyways, we're not here to talk about Jordan Lyles. We'll go ahead and take a <laughs> quick break here. Uh, when we come back, we'll touch on some of the positives offensively and then pivot to talking about Bill Schmidt in the front office with some things. Yes, there are some positives we can mention. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Tune in next week for the Jordan Lyles cast. Yeah. 43 million reasons to talk about Jordan Lyles' career. <laughs> More money than any of the three of us will ever make. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Welcome back here to Affected by Altitude. And talked about the pitching. As always, our segments run longer than we plan <laughs> because it's a lot harder to talk less. And even though we don't really have an arbitrary number to end these episodes on. Anyways, wanted to touch on some of the offensive guys. We've talked about them throughout the season, especially these last couple of weeks. And last week talked all about offensive rookies and everything. But this point, just kind of general offensive takeaways or positive things that came out of the position players offensively this season uh, that you liked. I think I wanted to start one off here with Alaris Montero. I think that was one of the biggest positives down the stretch of the season was as he got more playing time and regular time at first base there near the end of the season. Really started to kind of show out a little bit more, get a little bit more consistent. We saw the pop start to to come out a little bit more. Looking even more glimpses of that player, we know he can be or that the, why the Rockies traded for him. Still in a weird spot, but there were some positives with Montero there down the stretch. Yeah, Monty Monty was tough because at the beginning of the season, and honestly, for most of the season, there was a lot of frustration of why are you not giving him any playing time? If you're not going to play him, trade him to someone who will or just you know let him go. Like I understand that there is the, the not wanting to completely give up on the last remaining parts of the Nolan Arenado trade, but they just weren't giving Monty the time of day where he started the season at third base with Ryan McBain at second and got benched uh, for his defensive woes and then just never really came back for a while. Then finally, when he came back, he's playing first base and DH regularly and showed, much like last year, that if you give him consistent time, he's going to start to figure things out. And he did. 
Like Montero had a pretty solid season at the end of the day where, um, you know, the line itself is not that impressive. He had a uh, 7.716 OPS, but 11 home runs and 284 at-bats and uh, 39 RBIs, two triples, surprisingly, and 15 doubles. Like, he was totally fine. He was a he was a bat first slugging first baseman, and he also really put the work in to improve his defense at first base. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm I would like to still be optimistic on Montero, uh, but there's a forty percent strikeout rate there, and a lot yeah. of mismanagement from the organization that it's hard for me. I mean. You want to feel good. You see the potential for the power, and you know somebody that can that can impact a game. But it's it's feeling hard to be optimistic about that. And honestly, that's my answer for this. Aside from Nolan Jones and Ezekiel Tovar, is I'm having a hard time being rosy about this offense this year. <laughs> um, it's it's not fun to say, but I think one of the upsides is seeing Sean Bouchard and Brendan Rodgers return. Like that was yeah. good. You know, Rogers was always ahead of schedule the entire time. Definitely very rusty when he first came back, but strong defensively and started picking it up over the last two weeks of the season. Bouchard showed that he's still a good bench bat. Maybe can be just that overperformer that he's kind of always uh, looked like he could be. Um, so them returning was a positive. Obviously, Diaz's first half was a positive. And I'd say Charlie Blackman, there were some pretty big questions about kind of how long can he cut it as a major league hitter, especially in the last year of his contract. He showed he showed out pretty well. I mean, there was a very good hitter, a very capable hitter in Charlie Blackman all season, and that's why uh, the extension occurred with him to bring him back for one more run. Outside of that, one, I mean, it was just a plague of Harold Castro over and over. It, there yep. was so much Jackson throw far. Um, you know, this was a this was an anemic offense uh, at the end of the day, and I think that big sweeping changes need to be made. Um, but you saw a couple of guys that gave you some glimpses that you know maybe they could be part of the next actually um, serviceable offense. Mm-hmm. The thing I'll say about Montero's strikeout rate, because you're right, it was high, but a lot of players on this team had high strikeout rates. This team struck out a lot. This team struck out the most times in their franchise history this year. And what we've seen from Alaris Montero at every level of minor league play is that the more time he gets, the more time he has to actually work on things, that strikeout rate gets lower. And I think a lot of that high strikeout rate was that he was pressing because, you know, he said himself that he was feeling really down on himself about not contributing to the team and also just not getting consistent playing time until the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's they... definitely something to keep an eye on, but it's not something I was really that bothered with this year with all the extenuating circumstances behind it. I get worried with strikeouts when there's no walks to accompany them. So when it's a big gap between the two, like if a guy is striking out 80 times and he has even like 15 to 20 walks, I'm like, eh, that's not terrible. Like I can take that, but you have, there's a lot of numbers you have to look at to combine everything. Like Ryan McMahon striking out way too much. And I'd take those strikeouts. If he was hitting dingers, if he was Kyle Schwarber up there, mm-hmm. I'll take that. But, he just a lot of them were a big nothing burger, 
And that's kind of the thing. Like it, it's hard to find those positives in the offense. Diaz, yeah, just kind of did his thing this year. Wasn't spectacular. Like the All Star Game stuff was awesome, but then everything else is just kind of there doing his thing. Nothing spectacular. Wasn't awful. Wasn't spectacular. But it was That's solid. all you ask for as a catcher, though. It's such a exactly. low bar for offensive standards at that position. That fine. Yeah, that's good. Good. Yeah. It's not bad, so it's good. Yeah, especially when you're appearing in 141 games as mostly the catcher. Like he played a lot this year, and his his first half was blisteringly hot. There's no way that was sustainable. He got to have his big all star moment, which is going to be a career defining moment for him. And then in the second half, he was just you know, kept being Elias Diaz. He get on base sometimes and hit some dingers sometimes, and. You know, you, you can't really ask for a whole lot more right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, one other positive of a position player didn't end the season with the team. Randall Gritchick had a good year offensively with the Rockies. Power wasn't exactly there. Eight home runs uh, started to tick up there near the end before he got traded. But he was one of the only Rockies this year to have a batting average over 300 in at least 64 games. So take that what you will with the injuries and everything. But he had one of the better just consistencies when he came onto the field. And that helped us with the trade market, obviously. But yeah, I, it's hard pressed to find much, many positives with the offense or defense. It's nice that they brought in some guys, cut bait with some of them. But this kind of leads into our, our overall conversation next with the front office and Bill Schmidt in his second, was this his second full season as the real GM, not the interim GM? Second full season. Uh, what are your thoughts here on Bill Schmidt's second season as the, the full-time regular GM? Uh, big major trade he did with um, swapping Juan Brito for Nolan Jones. That worked out a treat. Um I liked that we were actually incredibly active at the trade deadline. One of the busiest trade deadlines that we've had in a long, long time here in Rockies country where, you know, we traded what, six guys in total. We fleeced the angels out of a ton of prospects (laughs) and brought in a bunch of, a bunch of (laughs) solid pitching prospects, which is, is what the team needed. And it was nice to see, you know, Bill Schmidt recognize, all right, well, here's what needs to be done is we need to go get a, assortment of different pitching talents like all of the guys that he brought in they're all a bunch of different kinds of pitchers and you hope that that's going to lead to at some point them not continuing to try and force this cookie cutter mold that we've got on the big league side of things where they're just pounding the lower part of the strike zone um so i really would like to see what's going to happen with that and I think um, you have the Charlie Blackman extension, which I am totally fine with. Uh, I've already said that I think it's completely fine. A little bit of an overpay, but you're basically rewarding him for his many years of service in his basically final contract of his career. I think overall, Bill Schmidt had a pretty good season as the Rockies GM. He gave us a lot more to be hopeful or interested in than he did last year or in his year as the interim GM. (laughs) It felt like the leash got longer with the ability to make these trades. You know, yeah. it's, it always is the unknown of who's the one 
making the decisions. Um, these feel like they have his stamp on it a little bit more than uh, the ownership stamp on it. So for that alone, um, you know, it's it's probably too little too late on the addressing the pitching side. Um, but it's encouraging to actually see action be, being taken on that front. Um, I also, you know, considering the draft class a little bit this year, um, or the results of some of the draft, uh, from 2022, there are, there are some interesting pitchers being brought in. So they're definitely working to stockpile that, um, that part of the organization. It would have been nice if they had paid attention to this before, but, um, at least, you know, there's, it, it, there's some direction that's pretty evident with these decisions being made. And it seems to be his decisions, um, on going for it. So, um, yeah, you know, I think that it's encouraging to actually see some changes being made, how it pans out. You know, that's what time will tell. Yeah. That, that's where I'm at. It was, Seems more like that leash is getting longer. He's able to do maybe a little bit more, you know, whether it's just he's pushing his way into that or the ownership's just kind of pulling back of, hey, you can do your thing a little bit more. I'm going to go focus on this type of thing. But it's good to see him trying to do a little bit more, push the you know, the, the organization away. Because what we always hear about Bill Schmidt is that a lot of other no teams and executives think he's good for the job if he's able to just do his thing you know, and do things his way that he wants to do it. And that's always the conversation we have with the Rockies where, you know, Bill Schmidt may be Darth Vader, but we know who's really making the decisions behind him because you know, somehow Palpatine has returned. Uh, we always They always have that hanging over the organization, whereas a lot of those outside baseball people Oh, or not outside baseball, outside of the organization, think that Bill Schmidt, no, he can do good in that job. And we saw with the trading, it was nice to see him be willing to make those trades. Um, trade away CJ Crone, trade away some of these oh, favorites of the of the of the front office of management and everything, able to make those moves. But then we see other moves that Harold you know, Cash or Jerkson Profire Wire was on the roster until the end of August. Harold Castro survived the entire season while other players continually got booted off the roster prospects like Coco Montez or you know, Cole Tucker never really got a fair shake type of thing. There's those little minor moves, but then how much of that is Bill Schmidt as much as Bud Black wanting to make certain roster decisions? Yeah. So it's all these kind of things, but it's nice to see him get a little bit more I guess, freedom to do some things the way he wants to. What's really interesting is also looking at how bottom heavy our minor league system is right now coincides with Bill Schmidt taking the reins as GM. Uh, A lot of guys from the 2021 and 2022 draft classes who are really shining in the lower levels of the minor league system versus the the remnants of when Jeff Breidich was the general manager and sort of the emptiness when it comes to really impressive major league talent, especially in, say, AAA Albuquerque, where I, I just wrote about this, is there is a gulf right now between those upper and lower parts of our minor league system where you had like nine, ten people taking home awards from Loe Fresno and High Spokane and then just two total from Hartford and and Albuquerque. And I also look at 
the uh, the Chris Bryant signing and looking back on it now, how much more of a Dick Monfort signing that was than a Bill Schmidt signing. Because we knew Bill Schmidt was high on the guy because he originally scouted him and the Rockies were interested in drafting him originally. But we we did find out that Dick Monfort had much more of his hands on that contract than Bill Schmidt did. Yeah. <laughs> they can turn into a nice, ugly Chris Bryant podcast if we want to do that. But I think at the end of the day, the conspiracy theorist in me certainly believes that one of the few things that the fans said that resonated in Dick Monfort's ears was this was the first season without a star with the departure of Trevor Story and Nolan Arenado in previous seasons. I think that was a major driving factor in acquiring Chris Bryant. Yes. Yeah. And and I don't want to go into a big negative Chris Bryant podcast because I genuinely, <clears throat> genuinely believe that if he can stay healthy, he can be so important to the success of this team because we, he, he showed us this year that his bat can still be pretty good when he's actually on the field. Or at least <laughs> solid. He's, he's never going to live up to the contract. It is impossible. It was a drastic overpay by the organization. And with how much time he spent hurt over the first two seasons, that's out the window. Don't bother. Instead, just try and focus on, well, if he can say, if he can play 100 games next year and be a solid hitter, great. Okay. Yeah, That's my positivity on the Chris Bryant. Well, it's sad that you have to aim for 100 games being the high watermark at this point. It is. It is. Because he never really had an injury history prior. And the shoulder coming to the Rockies, but there was it was one season basically. I mean, it sapped his power for like two years after too. I don't know. It's there's Chris Bryant. You you said it right. He's never going to live up to the money. And at this point, if he can be just a positive contributor, that's the best you can ask for. Mm-hmm. I, I will say, kind of steering things with Bill Schmidt. Uh, I will say that fault that he seems to have, and it seems to be a running joke that becomes more of a reality, is they acquire guys that they liked when they were drafting, trying to scout them in high school and stuff. No one Jones falls into that category. There's no guys that they acquired from the angels. It was either Mason Albright or the other guy. Uh, They were one of the the guys where they were looking at to draft and they weren't able to that one's worrying because it's, they're just sticking with their old information and scouting reports of, Oh, we like this guy. So we want him now instead of maybe branching out. (laughs) <laughs> when he one of the first things he did is he reacquired Case Williams back from the Reds after Jeff Breidich had traded him away, and he's like, "Give me back my boy," mm-hmm. type of thing. And so, Noah and Noah Davis is part of that because Noah Davis was originally a guy that he had scouted. Oh my gosh! So that I'll say that is <laughs> it can be both good and bad. It worked out with Nolan Jones because he's younger. Chris Bryant, you scouted what like <laughs> seven years ago. Oh no! Scouted Chris Bryant. He was like a, a potential one-one overall pick. Yeah. Like, yeah, I saw Chris Bryant too when he played at San Diego. It doesn't mean you have to so, do it. So that's one problem: is the team has a pr- trouble, I think, letting go at times and moving on from things. Which, again, Bill Smith has shown some capability of doing that. Uh, earlier this week, we see or saw that outriding of three veterans off the roster. Harold Castro finally outrighted off the roster. Now, will he become a free agent by the time you're hearing this? Uh, 
We hope so. But Austin wins as well. Backup catcher who had was at least was a helpful presence that the team enjoyed. Didn't provide a lot offensively, but defensively was pretty decent. And then Matt Kirasidi, who uh, in his reunion with the team, had a really good AAA season. Didn't translate too well to the big leagues. Had some bad outings there. But overall, those three guys. So it's they're moving on from some veterans. Bill Schmidt wanting that influx of of youth into the team, I think is a big thing. May conflict with his manager that he inherited. But he's wanting to make that movement towards youth and like building the team in his image as of instead of the pieces that he's inherited. And for guys like Kara City and Wins, those are guys who we were talking about this a little bit before the show is these are guys who would make great coaches at some point. Um, Kenneth, you were talking about how, you know, before he came back to the Rockies, um, Kara City had been considering retiring and be going into coaching. And Austin Wins, I think, has made it pretty clear over his last couple of years. He, he's 32 at this point. And he's never really been able to establish himself as a big league hitter. But defensively, in his relationship that he can build with pitchers, that dude's going to make a great coach if if somebody gave him that shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, solid, solid people being brought into the organization. Um, but it's quality on the major league roster is what needs to start coming through. Yeah. Exactly. And you know, bringing in more youth with that youth movement can be helpful. But overall, I'd say Bill Schmidt gets a, I'd still give him like a B, C plus, B minus mm-hmm. for his second full season. I'm feeling, a, I'm feeling a lot better about Bill Schmidt at this point right now than I was at this point last year. Yeah. Like Russell Wilson, they just need to let him cook. Hmm. I don't want but, to talk about the Broncos. Better. We do were better. talking about Chris Bryant and somehow you made it worse. <laughs> I would rather talk about Chris Bryant for a hundred days than the Broncos right now. So let's uh, let's go to our second ad break. <laughs> yeah, it's positives, but if they'll just let him do his thing, give him full reins, honestly, even let him if he wants to bring in a new manager, I don't think they will, but let him have full reins. The Mets are doing it with their president of baseball ops. Buck Walter's gone. He's going to build it in his image. It's what you got to do when you bring in new guys. Let them just do their thing and build it the way they want to. Instead of just having new guys first. Yeah, that's the the thing. You got to bring in new guys first. Whatever. This team's weird. Anyway, they belong in the Appalachians (laughs) with how insular and familiar they are with each other. Anyways, we'll take another break here. And then we come back. We're going to move on to talk about the future. Future positives with the minor leagues and everything. So don't go anywhere. We got one last break here on Affected by Altitude. Strong deliverance. Future. Future. Right here on Affected by Altitude, our final break coming out for the segment. Scholars here, along with Evan and Kenneth. This will be helpful because we have two parts of here of the Double Report podcast, which has gone MIA, hint, hint. Busy people. Anyways. Uh, but a lot of positives. I think that's when we go over this year, that's where a lot of the conversations come is the youth movement and a lot of focus more on 
the miners and towards the future of, well, what positives can we take there? Is the future bright? Is it dim? How are we looking with the Rockies minor league system here for the coming years? We've already mentioned really bottom heavy still, but that talent is slowly moving up, especially this year. It seemed like a little bit more aggressive with moving guys up than in years past guys moving up that could potentially contribute in 2024 and 2025. Yeah. The, the minor league system I think is in a much better spot now. And and like we said, it's still bottom heavy, but we're going to see that start to shift starting this off season and going into next season as people start being, you know, placed in different parts of the farm system. Uh, I was really, really happy with uh, Loe Fresno this year was so much fun to watch. They took home a bunch of hardware. Uh, Steve Solis, uh, manager of the year, plus Ryan Ritter and um, who are the other two? Uh, Michael Prosecki and Zach Agnos, two pitchers made up three of the all-stars from the Fresno Grizzlies, which, you know, it's nice to look at the lower levels and be like, there's some really interesting pitchers down there. Um, and then another big guy, Carson Palmquist. Uh, Carson Palmquist and Michael Prosecki, two really interesting starting pitching prospects down in those lower levels that I think we're going to keep seeing climbing up. Um, while there's less in AA and AAA, there are still some really interesting guys on there. Drew Romo finally made it all the way to AAA, and there's a not insignificant chance that he could be on the roster next year. They also had a bunch of, um, you know, lesser known guys who I think are knocking on the doors to the majors. If not with the Rockies, they could definitely get a shot somewhere else. Uh, Jimmy Heron and Albuquerque had a really, really great season. Uh, it was a ton of fun to watch. You have guys like Yankee Fernandez, who has made it as high as a uh, double a Hartford. And he, he still showcased his power up there, even though he did, it's taking him a little bit to really get um, get his footing at that higher level of play, but there's lots of there's lots of fun guys in this farm team, um, in this farm system, and lots of stuff to look forward to. I think for next year. Mm-hmm. What's been the biggest highlight for you, or you and all that, Kenneth? Because you do the Pebble Report usually every Monday for your rock pile over on Purple Row. And so you were really in the numbers and really paying attention and, and rounding things up every week. Yeah, I think the the biggest shot in the arm was Fernandez for this season, the only futures game representative. But this was somebody who kind of showed a lot of raw ability um, when he in 2022 at Fresno, and then he just started kind of turning into a man in front of our eyes up there and shooting up to Double A. So he he genuinely did establish himself as a top prospect this year on most national publications, and he's somebody that became a who really leaped up um, in a lot of people's opinions. And I think um, Adeo Amador um, is in that same conversation. I think Am- Amador already had a little bit of shine to him in the first place, but that plate approach, we talk about the strikeout problems on the big league roster right now. Somehow, some way, Amador is able to just consistently carry a very advanced plate approach that could be kind of a, an organization changer a little bit. Um and just he, he has all the makings of a future middle infield of Amador and Tobar. And so there's a lot to dream on between those two. Jordan Beck and Sterling Thompson were also dope. Like Jordan Beck, uh, yeah. I 
was never in love with the pick of Jordan Beck, especially because his uh, teammate in Tennessee, Drew Gilbert, I think is somebody that's a very special player too. But uh, I'm glad to be a little bit wrong on just how impactful Beck was as soon as he jumped onto the scene. Thompson um, showed a very polished hitter as well. Um, a little bit of injuries that slowed him down, but he and Beck were on the same trajectory. And these are guys that you're looking at as possibly 2024 late season call-ups. So seeing a little bit more of that wave, similar to what you saw with Jones and Brenton Doyle this year. Um, this farm system is very disproportionate, however. Uh, we're talking about all of these wonderful things, and the vast majority of it is hitting. And so one thing that really killed the rosy colored glasses for the season is Tommy John to Jordy Vargas, to Gabriel Hughes and to Jackson Cox. Um, There's just a rash of pitching injuries that seems to be commonplace within within this organization uh, that doesn't seem to be getting better right now. And so looking at the outlook of this future or of this uh, of this big league roster, there's a lot of position player talent that is coming on the way and is establishing themselves. There's still some, some question marks with guys. I think Drew Romo is the question of whether he's a starting caliber catcher with the bat is still valid. Zach Veen is really in limbo right now, um, but you have a lot of other guys with a lot more, uh, you know, rise past them in Thompson and Beck and Fernandez and Amador. So um, there's positives on the position player front, but you have to start addressing pitching because what quality pitching you did think you had is either underperforming or mostly hurt. And you don't know if they're coming back around because otherwise we're going to be ending up in you know, Ryan Rollison territory or Helkers Oliveira's territory with a lot of the names. And that hasn't really worked out to this point. So yeah. if that ends up being the case with Gabriel Hughes and Jaden Hill, you're right back where you started. So I literally um, forgot about Helkers Oliveira's, which is really sad because he used to be just this bright, shining star among Rockies pitching prospects. Yeah, and so right now, uh, Chase Dollander is such a polarizing pick because he's the right player at the right time. If you really are a draft and develop organization, you have ace caliber stuff now. You have a guy that has shown how dominant he can be, but he needs a little bit of work, and you need to keep him healthy. Can you do Mm -hmm. it? Yeah. That's kind of, yeah. you know, what what the challenge is for the Rockies right now. It's a bummer with guys like Vargas and Hughes because these are, you know, Vargas was further away. But Hughes is somebody that you looked at as more of an immediate reinforcement, hopefully. The, the pitching is a ways off, but the hitting showed this year that it's not too far off. So that's at least a positive from this year. Yeah. No. Mike Honcho was so much fun. Mm-hmm. And Sterling Thompson is now having just a dandy of a time over in – um the Arizona fall league. Yeah. But you know, Jordan Beck was the Northwest league MVP with Spokane. Benny and, Montgomery. I want to just, sorry to interrupt, but Benny Montgomery in the fall league right now is, is some encouraging signs because he's also uh, doing real well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, s- stealing a lot of bases too. He's nice and quick. Uh, you got guys like Ryan Ritter who, you know, the bat was the major question mark for him. And he, just has been doing really well adjusting to professional ball with his bat. What I really want to see happen is a, a reevaluation and change in approach of coaching and training of pitching across this entire system from the major leagues down, because we had what seven cases of Tommy John surgery this year, including four of our top pitching prospects 
and you had Noah Davis develop that forearm tightness that's a, a warning sign. You had uh, Ryan Feltner end the season with it, and you know his status is still st- still up in the air. Lucas Gilbreth had Tommy John. It's it's a little worrying, and a, a little it's very worrying. And it's like you said, with a lot of this young pitching talent, especially guys like Chase Dollander, they need to be kept healthy so that they can keep developing. The last thing any of these guys need is a major bump in the road like Tommy John surgery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm really tired of seeing pitcher goes down with shoulder, forearm, or elbow problems, which seems to be a common thread. And that's across baseball. Everybody's dealing with that. I think it's just the nature of the beast and how baseball's played now, especially in college and you know, coming up, the big shock to the system. But it's still a problem of how do you keep people healthy. And I think you touched on it, Kenneth, is how can they develop these pitchers? Can you develop the ace stuff? Because you can't claim to be a draft and develop organization and your guys just aren't being developed. Now, if you're simply relying on raw potential and what they were in college or high school, and then they really don't get much better. In fact, they get worse as they go through your system. And then they go somewhere else and suddenly their base is loaded in a division series with, against the Braves. And all of a sudden, Jeff Hoffman is punching dudes out. He's also giving up big home runs, but that yeah. that panned out okay. Rockies for them. weren't the only team to struggle yeah. with, with getting most out of Hoffman. I think like John Gray is a perfect example of what you're yeah. talking about. Uh, you know, John Gray was supposed to be the 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 best pitcher in Rockies history, so to speak, and he kind of rode his ability to being a good major league pitcher in spurts, but also was up and down and up and down and having a yeah. hard time finding consistency. Can't say that's completely changed in Texas, but d- would anybody be surprised to see John Gray have a career year in Texas next year? Yeah, you know. Just so it's yeah, again, you need to you need to make the most out of these arms because right now, if you're just trying to out hit your problem, that's what the 2012 Rockies tried to do. How'd that go? You know, yeah. it, it doesn't make things better. Yeah. And that's the thing that I always I mean, it, there's positive signs. They have that lab they're building in Arizona at the training facility. Now, that'll be cool. Hopefully that's useful. And they but then they're like, we want to make sure we can control and know what's going on with these guys. And that can partly make you worry like, well, they haven't been controlling what's been going on before during the season. This is your 31 of your organization and you're just now starting to consider this. Yeah. So that would be nice is again, they want to build out analytics department. I think Brian Jones and everything, but the pitching coordinators, everybody needs to figure out and come together and figure out a simple solution. I'm not a simple solution, but a solution in general. Because we saw that, yeah, have a plan of some kind. Because we saw in the Denver Post articles we mentioned a couple weeks ago, one of them that stuck out was talking about the minor leaguers and one of the anonymous pitchers there in the organization. They were talking about how the organization has told guys to be themselves. They don't try to meddle. That's good. That's part of it. You don't want to mess too much with guys. But the Rockies still put guys into cookie-cutter molds where all of a sudden – everybody's kind of throwing the same way still. We don't want to mess with what you have, but here's how we want you to pitch. And he figures, why are all these guys with sinkers throwing the ball in the same exact place up in the zone? They should be throwing it down away. Guys that can throw up should be throwing up. And so it's figuring out a plan and 
better separation of putting guys, okay, these type of pitchers should pitch kind of in this general sense. This group over here, here's how you guys should generally pitch. Use your arsenal in that way type of thing. <sighs> There's a lot of overhaul that needs to happen. Creates diversity, too. If you go out yeah. there and you, you throw four Aaron Cooks, it all looks the same to the opposition, too. So you're setting yourself up for a hard series. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's one habit that they fell into. And I, it, we'll see how it translates. One area that they've been successful on is a little bit more of a deceptive lefty mold. And I think, you know, Freeland fit into this. You can go back and look at Tyler Anderson or something. Um Carson Palmquist, we brought into it. He looks exactly like Brian Fuentes. It's a weird, funky <laughs> delivery. But Joe Rock, Sean Sullivan was a second-round pick this past year. That That's one that they've done well with. But if you build an entire rotation out of Sean Sullivan, Austin Gomber, Kyle Freeland, and Joe Rock or whatever, that's four or five lefties that all do the same thing. Teams will be able to adjust to that pretty easily. So you need to have some diversity in your pitching core as well. Yeah, it's like uh, it, it. there's one of those positives in the system. There is a diverse kind of diversity. You can see the diversity through the system in different arms. It's letting them still be diverse and not forcing them all into the same kind of mold and look. You know, get yeah. use those different pitchers. Like, yeah, we don't want all those same kinds of pitchers. Give me a guy that can pump 97 with his fastballs and be really powerful. And then, oh, throw a deceptive lefty in that rotation. You need to be able to develop different types of arsenals. Yeah, exactly. Is the thing where, yeah, you can make the most out of a Tyler Anderson and a Kyle Freeland. Can you make the most out of a John Gray too? Um, and so I think that's the 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 part of it that really needs to show with somebody like Dollander is, okay, if you have Dollander sandwiched between a Joe Rock and a Carson Palmquist, can Dollander go out there and be a right-handed stud that shoves up in the zone, and then they got to deal with thumbing lefties aside from that? Or can we make the most out of the guys that are familiar and, again, just takes away from that diverse pitching staff? So you need to be able to handle different skill sets too, and that's that's what they need to prove. Yeah. Thoughts, Evan? I mean, pretty much. It's like... <laughs> We were laughing during the draft because, like, you know, when we picked Sean Sullivan, it's like this guy is very similar to Kyle Freeland. But then they've also done a good job this year, especially sort of reloading the farm system with a much more diverse set of pitching talents. Lots of different guys who excel at lots of different things. And it's just like kind of said is now you need to capitalize on that and be able to develop on that instead of taking all these guys who are incredibly diverse, getting them up to big leagues and going, all right, throw your sinker down in the zone and all doing the same thing. Yeah. It's coming and meeting guys where they're at and working with what they bring to the table instead of, kind of the other way around where they come to you, here's what I have to offer. And then you shove it into what you think it should be. Now develop these guys, work with them. Yeah. You can adjust some things if you need to, if things aren't working, but Hey, if Noah Davis is excelling at being a breaking ball first, a breaking ball heavy with his slider and everything work with him on that. He can build off his slider and then develop your other pitches instead of flipping those kinds of things, you know? Yeah, and I it, this is a very extreme example, but a, a perfect example of a, of an organization failing a player is Garrett Cole's time in Pittsburgh. 
Mm-hmm. Garrett Cole in Pittsburgh was a fine major league starter. He would show you glimpses of it, but Garrett Cole wasn't a sinker guy. Garrett Cole was the dude who had the ability to blow triple digit gas by you and also mix in three pitches with good command. But the Pirates forced him into being what they wanted him to be. And he was never really that guy. And then he goes to Houston and all of a sudden he becomes the best pitcher in baseball or, you know, elite category. Um, so it, it it's a very real thing that happens. And when you talk about the Rockies, one, they need pitchers. And two, they need to start um, being a little bit more accepting or just, you know, embrace different types of pitchers. Um, and as opposed to just falling in love with that sinker guy. Um, and that's, that's what you need to get away from. You know, pitchers from example. the 80s aren't successful today. You know, <laughs> a good example is what the Mets did with Kodai Senga, where they just let him keep doing his thing. Like they let him throw his weird pitches, but they also, like, he had a great season. He did. It's a little bit easier when you acquire a guy that was also a Japanese professional, though, and knows what he's True, doing. but we've seen so many times a failure to translate from uh, sure. the NPB over to the MLB and trying to force these Japanese players into the more American baseball mold of things that just doesn't work. Rockies acquire Cody, or, uh, Roki Sasaki. Oh, my God. Make him throw ninety two down in the zone. I would call him. <laughs> I would call him Rockies Sasaki, yeah. and he would be my best friend, and I would be so happy. But we're never going to do that because the Rockies just don't scout. Hey, there's a hard Japan. cap. There's a hard cap on the international uh, transactions, so it's not the bidding war that it used to be that they can lose out on. So, hey, why not just put in the maximum three point eight five million bid or whatever? Because they've put all their resources into. Latin America, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Like the things that the Rockies have done with their uh, organization in the Dominican Republic and in Latin America is generally impressive. Like they do a good job down there, but there's this whole market that other teams are tapping into that we are not. Yeah. They're not the only ones or the, are not the only ones that don't heavily invest. I think there's virtually no investment. Don't get me wrong. Uh, scouting in the far East is very expensive for a lot of organizations. So it presents a different challenge than the Latin American side. Like there are economical logistical reasons why it's different between the two. Uh, when you look at somebody like Saki and just with the, with the changes of the uh, signing system, the international signing system, especially for Japanese players, put your bid in for a lottery ticket at the very least. Go out there, present the case. Hey, you could be the greatest ever here and you're going to make as much here as you would anywhere else. You can court somebody as best you can. If you don't work, you don't pay. Or, you know, if he doesn't select you, you don't pay. So it, it's also like Dick Monfort loves money. Like, I know, I know we always say it's like, he's not motivated only by money, but like, he's still a billionaire. He still sure. likes money. You know, it's a good way to, to get money is to get a whole other country of fans invested in your team. It blew my mind this year working in the press box when San Diego was here and you Darvish was pitching. I just walked into the press box one day and there was like three times as many people as there normally were in there. And I was like, what mm-hmm. did I miss? And no, the- it's just... It, and it's not even, Oh, Otani is obviously its own carnival, you know. Uh, but even for Darvish, a past his prime, not the biggest Japanese name, you know, not even necessarily an all-star guy anymore. Uh, you're still seeing 15, 20 guys show up out of nowhere to make sure they see you, Darvish. Now, if you have somebody like Sasaki coming in as being the biggest story in baseball, 
and you have an entire other side, you know, continent tuning in to that. Yeah, absolutely. You're getting publicity for sure out of that whole thing. So yeah, marketing upside. Do it that way. Why not? Plus so, they have uh, a camera on those players. Like they have a camera on Otani throughout the entire game. Yeah, the dedicated mm-hmm. Otani cam. Yep. And it's like, it really is like, you know, even you Darvish, and I love you Darvish. He's one of my favorite players. One of my favorite pitchers. Um, he's great. But it's like you said, even when he is, you know, he's older now, he's past his prime. He's dealt with injuries. He still is getting all that attention. And it's like, I'm always surprised that the Rockies haven't tried to capitalize on that in any significant way. Well, it's just to make everybody feel bad. Can you guys name the last player that they signed from Asia? Uh, was it, was it Kaz Matsui? No, he wasn't signed by the Rockies. He was signed by the Mets. It's before him. Well before him. Is it, um, I always forget how to say his name. Sal. Shinwei Sal. Shinwei Sal out of, uh, Taiwan. Taiwan, out of Taiwan, who had a really fascinating career arc after he left the Rockies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the last time that they signed uh, a player out of the East. So, just goes to show how little they they dip into that pool. Yeah, and there are so many good players who are posting. Let's blow the farm for Shohei. I would love. You don't even Shohei. have to blow the farm for for Shohei. He's a free agent. Just give him $500 million and be on your merry way. Not my money. You get a year of Shohei the DH and then give him a room at the rally. Build him a house at the rally, but build him his own mansion on top (laughs) of the roof of the rally hotel. How much more would the Rockies have to pay Shohei to get him to actually come here than a Dodgers than uh they would have to pay him seven hundred million dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody's yeah, the the next highest is four forty five. The Rockies come out and they're like, well, it it took a lot to get it done, but eight hundred and thirty million. That did it. That did it. (laughs) And then imagine if he didn't perform at all. Dick Monfort would give him a portion of Greeley. Yeah. (laughs) How about about some no it's the it's the J Jonah Jameson. So how about some meat? I'll send you some nice meat. <laughs> I would just give him Boulder. Yeah, <laughs> I for just... one welcome our new Shohei Otani overlord <laughs> to Boulder, Colorado. Him and Prime. Oh goodness! The warring, the warring factions of Shohei Otani and Deion Sanders, for who rules Boulder, Colorado. <laughs> the fact would be Shohei just would not care at all either. It makes it hilarious. <laughs> oh goodness! Anyways, on that happy note that happy image uh this will come to the end of here of affected by altitude there are positives from 2023 they're not as many outside of those rookies but there's things and things the team can do moving forward if they're just willing to do it which yeah we can only hope and pray and, but, know, being being in like it all is lost everything is horrible this is just the worst attitude it doesn't help anyone it doesn't do anything for you you're just making yourself miserable it's okay to look at the pos- positives of a season even in a really bad season like the one that we just had yeah but it's also fun to rally behind against whoever we want but you all know who we're talking about you know the Castro. No, 
Just kidding. We wish him the best of luck with everything else that he does. The Dodgers got swept out of the playoffs by the Diamondbacks. Yay. Yes. Let that make you smile. Good times. Houston will fall too. We'll all enjoy the playoffs. Yeah. Give me a give me a Rangers Diamondbacks World Series. That would be a lot of fun. Oh, I was talking about that today. I think the Diamondbacks would get absolutely smoked. But just no the playoff format is broken. Maybe no Astros. Anyways, that'll do it here. We may have to do a... Eh, maybe next time we'll talk more about the postseason. But that'll do it here. Uh, Evan, where can the folks find you? You can find me on Twitter at, at Evan underscore Lang 27. And you can find me on Blue Sky at, at Evan Lang 27.bsky.social. You can find me every Thursday on Purple Row doing those rock piles. And you can find us on uh, YouTube.com and Twitter at Rocky Mountain Rooftop. That's at R-O-C-K-Y-M-T-N Rooftop. Mm-hmm. How about you, Kenneth? Yep, I'm on uh, Purple Row every Monday uh, doing the Arizona Fall League couple report along with my columns right now. And then I'm on Twitter at KDub1988 and in your dreams. Indeed he is. <laughs> Find me on Twitter at, at sideline underscore crowd. Um, until the skies are bluer, I won't do that much on there. Uh, you f- also find me Wednesday articles for Purple Row. Uh, you can also catch all of our ranking the Rocky series at purplerow.com. Still, that stuff's going till Jan- until the end of December, pretty much. So keep I'll checking on those Monday through Friday. Do that too, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Monday through Friday, all of us over at Purple Row doing that article a day, just play reviews. They're fun to write about. Fun to recap everything. Uh, you can also find us over at fansforsports.com. Uh, we'll try to have written content over there. As I'm looking at it, it's mostly me doing the baseball writing. So, unless you really like the Pittsburgh Steelers, <laughs> I have some content over there for you still. But, yeah, fun stuff. We just keep chugging along. Be sure to check out Every Rocky Ever. Had a recent episode about uh, with Brendan Barnes former Rocky and then should have a new episode coming out here soon. And then everything else that we can figure out to do at every Rocky ever purple row fans sports.com. Am I missing anything? Do we do anything else? Evan and I were on the locked on Rockies podcast. You can go. Oh check yeah. That, that was, that was a lot of fun. Check that out. Uh, huge. Thanks to Paul for having us on. Kenneth is always, you can always find Kenneth. He'll be on the DNVR Rockies podcast here and there. Yep. Be on the lookout for those. Patrick and Susie. So, we're Why just don't you just join DNVR if you love them so much? <laughs> yeah. They never invite us. Just oh. kidding. We, it's no big deal. They couldn't afford us. That, that's really what it is. You're, I'm having two fighting dogs, so it looks like I'm on a boat right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right they're ready to eat me too they can't afford us like pat mcafee can afford drew or uh, (laughs) aaron Rodgers. what's aaron Rodgers on his show so were you about to say drew Brees? yeah i thought of Drew Brees because with google play they had a submit a joke to drew Brees to win a football signed by drew Brees, and if he laughs you'll be entered for that drawing that sounds fun and so i submitted a joke who knows if it'll work but they said they'll send you a video because they'll read it to him and if nice. he doesn't laugh, they'll still send you a clip. 
So I'll hopefully have that to report at some point. <laughs> Stonewalled by Breeze, my column by Skyler. <laughs> I'd read Breeze did not find my joke funny. Mm-hmm. Anyways, that'll do it Let's here. Go. Let's go we're, eat. Yeah, we're trying to end this episode. <laughs> it's like Return of the King. You just fade out and then fade back in and do another ending four different times. Well, yeah, we have to send Kenneth off on a boat into the Undying Lands with some elves. Dad, the boat's already rocking over here if you couldn't yeah. tell from my camera. We'll send him off into the distance and we'll cry. <laughs> Kenneth Weber, ring bearer. There we go. I like it. And he'll look 150 years old, just like Bilbo. I actually am 150 years old. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Watching the Rockies will do that to you. Yeah, it's like dog ears. Every Rockies Watching the game. Rockies, I feel thin, like butters <laughs> stretched over too much bread. So <laughs> what happens when you cover the game in person uh but good job as always being able to head out in there in the press box kenneth we always appreciate yeah. all that you it's do there it's nice to have uh our guys with boots on the ground over at course field mm-hmm. do what i can good stuff well until next time this has been affected by altitude uh somebody hit it with it hit them with it kenneth hit them with it farewell Yay. go avalanche yeah.